0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. Cheshireimpact.com, you. We're live, all right. This is gonna be a good one. This is, this is a good morning, got the water, got the coffee. Ready to learn, ready to have some marketing conversation, and my guest is so cool, such a good. Uh, I just, I there's so much here. So he is bold, he's driven, the marketing leader, but he's a speaker as well. You see him at conferences left and right, and he's a multi instrument musician. I'll call him a rock star, honestly. Vice president of marketing at Sigster, Justin Keller. How are you, sir?
1: I'm great now. I've never heard someone say so many nice things about me, so I am <laughs> on officially the best I've ever been. That's it, man. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing
0: great. How you doing? Good, good. I'm so glad you're here. This is the, the Marketing Leadership Series, and this is talking to those senior-level thought leaders in marketing understanding how do you look at the world, how do you look at marketing? How do you approach things? So we're gonna dive into your brain like little marketing parasites and, and learn from you today. Uh, but first I want to pass you this. Now it's kind of heavy, but I've been working out this is this right here. That's Thor's hammer. And uh, so take that, I know, but you you got it, you got it. So take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of bogus marketing strategy, some misconception, whatever just drives you bonkers. you hear it out there, you want to set the record straight.
1: uh let's go ahead and smash a three letter word called the mqL.
0: Ooh.
1: Uh, I think, uh, and, and this is something that I am guilty of too and have been. I mean, since I started doing kind of SaaS marketing, um, I've spent a lot of time and a lot of money building out, hiring people to help me build out, uh, tuning and tweaking lead scoring frameworks that would help me say, okay, I'm generating leads, but how many MQLs am I generating? And I would look at an MQL. As my KPI, another sure. awful three-word, three-letter word, but uh, marketing qualified leads. I think um, I think it stays uh, if it's if they're not already gone, they're numbered. Um, I think that it's uh, as as marketers, you know, traditional B two B digital marketers uh, need to move on from the MQL. I think that back in the day when it was just all about generating leads, sure, that's a great metric, but. These days, you can get leads anywhere you want. You can get them to click on things. You can get them to read whatever you want. That doesn't mean they're marketing qualified, right? Um, I think what marketers need to start looking on, and I think this is actually, I mean, I think there's been a sea change in uh, B2B marketing, uh, where marketers are responsible for revenue now. I think looking at pipeline and revenue is probably the best guiding light for a marketer on whether or not they're doing a good job we can have an argument about semantics about, you know, you know, qualified demos or where kind of like, I think, you know, there's, there's an inflection point in the funnel where marketing says, okay, this is one that's ready for sales. But I think that, uh, defining a sales ready lead by, the combination of a lead score and you know, some, some behavioral technographic, data stars and flames. Exactly. I think that's that's the wrong way to look at it these days. I think it's uh, giving you a lot of false positives and you're going to, you're probably missing a lot of, you know, actual, you know, positive indicators in your funnel.
0: So now shots fired here bright and early on the hardcore marketing show. The MQL is the sacred idol of many a marketer. (laughs) And we're saying it's days are numbered, man. It's yeah. The writing's on the wall. The, it, it's coming down. So what has led you to believe that? Have you have you seen the misalignment that comes from that? Or what kind of things happen when you just get so, like, tunnel vision focused on an MQL?
1: I think there's two things that can happen, and I don't think either of them are any good. The first one, and I think this is probably more common, is, um, you know, a marketer will, you know, build out an MQL program. They'll understand, you know, like, these are the leads I feel like sending to sales. When, uh, you know, you have a, a rough quarter or two quarters where you're not hitting your numbers, sales is going to get pissed. You're not sending me the right leads. So you're not sending me qualified leads. So then the marketer is going to go back, tweak the framework a little bit, make it a little harder to get a lead passed across. Uh, pretty quickly, sales is going to come back and saying, I'm not getting enough leads. Right. You're never going to win that battle. Right. And. Um, I think the other thing that can happen is you don't get that feedback loop from sales, right? And you just feel like you're generating MQLs and, you know, you're getting better at tricking leads into hitting whatever threshold it is. And, um, you know, you're not really improving your marketing at all. I think, you know, good marketers are responsible for revenue because it makes you focus on the entire funnel and the entire customer experience. And I think that it it, uh, short circuits that misalignment with sales right if you can say to your sales leadership and your sales team hey i am i am just as concerned about hitting your number as you are um all of a sudden you get some you get some cheerleaders you get some people that are rooting for you and that want to help rather than having uh this this adversarial kind of relationship with your sales team
0: boom there it is yeah it, 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 it's all about getting everyone on the same team right and so nothing says i'm not on your team like. I have a different scoreboard than you do, you know, exactly. good luck. Exactly. Good, I'm over here, you know, I'm being measured on, on soccer goals and you're being measured on touchdowns. Like it has no, no impact. And then trying to go into a board meeting or, or, a, you know, present to the VPs and tell them how many, how many touches and passes you had on the, yep. on the soccer ball. And they're like, what are you even talking about, Mark?
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> you what exactly. I mean? you know, it's like the guy that shows up at the, the, the sporting game and like, if they score a touchdown, he's like, "Go!" You're like, "No, wrong, wrong." Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, that's and that's something I do. I'm so bad at sports that so that is probably something I do. I think you know, and here's a, an analogy. I think that will resonate with you. I think it's, uh, you know, you're different. You're different teams, probably, yeah. but you're fighting the same battle, right? And I, I tend to think of it as marketing is more of the air force. You know, you're softening up targets. You're kind of, you know, helping. Uh, map the territory and, and informing, you know, the, the ground troops, the Marines are the sales team, right? They're the ones that are like going that. in, doing the hand-to-hand combat.
0: Wait, wait, who's sales in this? In this yeah, the,
1: the Marines. Ah, I
0: love that example. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> like they're the ones that are going in and actually getting work done, engaging, uh, you know, kind of, it, it, I think that the metaphor probably starts there because they're not, they're, they're going in trying to develop relationships and, you know, kind of further the business along. But um, I think that that's kind of, you know, two different tactics for the same, to win the same battle.
0: Right. And I would, I would further that account management is in the army because they're good at, you know, going in there and holding on to something that brings yes. <laughs> the, to the, the sort of police the area. Exactly. <laughs> Close You get them out of there and get their, you know, someone who can uh, nurture them.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> Co- comment uh, who the Navy is in this situation because I can't figure it out, but I'm sure someone. Who
0: should. is the Navy in this situation? Finance? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't either. I don't either. Someone out there, some (laughs) Navy person triggered right now. (laughs) You forgot me. (laughs) I the Coast Guard. (laughs) Oh, sick. All right. Well, this is good, man. Uh, So the MQL is dead. You know, and this reminded me too. I was having a conversation previously on the show with uh, James Buckley. I don't know if you know him. Say what sales. Hashtag say what sales. Shout out, James. And he's an SDR. He's like SDR for life. Um, a lot of folks see SDRs like that stepping stone to higher sales and he's like no man the qualifications where it's at and yes. and he shared with me what they do to qualify a lead you know i've heard of banton certain things but they they there's a lot of work that goes in for them to pass a lead to their sales counterpart we're I, and i thought back to the idea of mql we're calling it a marketing qualified lead. We're, we're putting our stamp of approval on this thing. And sometimes it, we've only just asked them one question, you know, or yeah. there's a couple of flames or stars, but, but our reputation's on the line. If we're saying this is qualified, yep. it's crazy. Exactly. We're like shooting exactly. ourselves in the foot.
1: And yeah, that's a great way to lose your credibility with your sales team, right? If you're right. saying, hey, this is qualified and, and it turns out to be, you know, dog shit leads, uh, your sales team's not going to trust you.
0: Right, and It's a six it cycle, right?
1: Yeah, and you can't win that back. That's a really tough. That's a really tough thing to lose.
0: That's cool. So, do you have do you have a, a really good alignment at Sixter where you're at?
1: I feel like we've got. I mean, I don't think it's ever perfect. Uh, I'd yeah. say we've got better alignment than I've ever had though in 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 my time doing this. Um, and I think it is for a couple of reasons. One, we are. Um, hey, the marketing team's responsible for pipeline. Like, uh, if the pipeline's not there, it's not the sales team's fault, it's our fault, right? And so oh, wow. for that reason, I don't even look at... I've got leads on a dashboard somewhere. I look at leads, but I don't, like, look at it and be like, oh, leads are down this week, right? I'm not right. focused on leads. I'm focused on how many uh, how many app bats are we getting our sales team? Who's who's uh, willing to take the demo? How can I help them make...
0: The own the sales, sales pipeline?
1: Better? Yes.
0: Wow. Or at least filling it?
1: Yes. So it's us and the sales dev team. So we are very tightly aligned right. and we're very account focused. Um, and so we, we really, you know, like, I mean, our head of sales dev sits next to me. Um, and it is a, you know, very, very tightly linked relationship.
0: And if you're sitting next to each other, you can't make fun of each other or maybe you no, can yeah.
1: maybe, <laughs> Oh, we can't, we can't, of course we can but we're, uh, we're also, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you, you get really close when you kind of have a, a tough metric like that and, right. Together, like you know, we're in this together. So we're fast friends as a result.
0: You know, and that's good because I, I would say one of the challenges when when I hear and probably other people hear marketing, you know, with with sales dev owning that pipeline generation, you're like, well, what if I send the perfect leads over to sales and they don't frigging call them or they don't think it's co-? like it, it's that that translation, where's where things get lost?
1: Yeah. And that's tough. And I don't know if there's a good answer for that or not. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I, I trust I've got, there's always the trust but verify uh, aspect of it. Yes. Right.
0: Uh, <laughs> Imagine that
1: we have tough revenue targets though. Right. And if, if, uh, I have to believe that they are strong enough that they are going to take every action necessary to make sure that they're, you know, building their book of business. Um, and right. I'm doing, and they know that I'm there to help them. Right. And that's maybe another thing, right. If, if they trust that, you know, uh, we're, we're right there to help them, not just kind of get them a demo or a lead or whatever you want to call it, but to help them close that deal. Um, you know, they want to honor the partnership, I think. I like that. Yeah.
0: Honor the partnership. And so you said trust in one direction, and then you said they're going to trust you back. I get it. It's like you have to have that mutual trust trust relationship, because when you said, you know, I trust that they're doing everything they can to, to work on those leads. I, I, I don't know if everyone does. I think the biggest complaint and you, know, you hear talk of SLAs and agreements is mm-hmm. because you know, the, of course marketing never gives you enough leads, but then sales never calls the leads. I think is yeah,
1: the- you know, I remember when I was setting up my first marketing automation instance, They were helping me set it up and they were like showing me a little trick, like, hey, you know, if you generate a lead and you pass it over to sales, you can build this workflow in such a way that, you know, if they don't follow up with it in 24 hours, they'll get a reminder email, hey, follow up with this lead. And then if they haven't followed up with it in 48 hours, we can CC your CEO on it so that they know the salesperson didn't follow up with that lead. And I was at the time like, oh my God, that's the coolest thing ever, right? I thought so too. (laughs) And now I'm just like, what the the hell is going on in the sales team where they're not following up on a great lead that I need to get the CEO involved. I think that's a bigger systemic problem than a salesperson. Right. I think that there's kind of a a cultural problem going on if, if the sales team's not, you know, following up with things like that.
0: Do you think like trust, but verify or? Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we do. And we've got weekly, I mean, we have weekly sales meetings where we look, um, we have the exact same dashboard that we look at. We went into, you know, what, uh, reports are building that dashboard agreed on all the numbers. Um, so we we have the same source of truth, right? And, uh, it's one of those things where I think it also helps build that trust because you know what, if you are sharing the same numbers, you're looking at them week over week. And if marketing's having a tough quarter or a tough month, you can call it out early in front of everyone and be like, you know what, marketing, I don't know what's going on. Uh, here's what I think's going on. I think we're seeing this, this, and this happen in our funnel or our inbound or in our uh, outbound or whatever. Um, and here's what we're going to do to fix it. But let's all be aware of it and, and try and right. fix it together.
0: I like that. That communication. You know, communication seems like it'd be a big deal. Anything else you recommend? I mean, you've got this trusting, this mutual trusting relationship. What kind of things have fed into that?
1: Um, I think
0: or just pixie it's, magic fairy dust it's
1: magic fairy dust yeah <laughs> no it's, i think it's just like i mean it's it's making sure that like that meeting uh which is what is today tuesday we've got it at the end of the day today uh we cancel it once in a while but no we try and have it as frequently as possible um we're all very concerned with hitting our number and making sure that we're checking in with each other every week and even more frequently than that like if little you know things happen um checking in to make sure we know what's going on uh, the summers are usually a little bit slower for us, so we went last quarter talking about that. Like, hey, you know, we know historically summers are a little slower. Here are the things the marketing teams going to do to try and make sure that we don't we don't suffer too much. What do you think? um and getting buy-in like that like and, and it's one of those things because we own the revenue number i mean that's scary i think that's a scary thing for a lot of marketers um, i think so let's talk about that because
0: <laughs> sure let's do it
1: shit i i kind of went into marketing because i didn't want that pressure <laughs> <Right>. originally <laughs> sales otherwise exactly exactly i mean <laughs> i used to think it was a lot more like Mad Men, where it's just like you get to be creative and drink a lot and drink uh, a lot.
0: yeah it's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, um i think you have a mini bar behind you somewhere <laughs>
1: No, we do have, uh, we have a a well-stocked fridge though. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, I say this a lot and I hope, uh, I think it's just super true. Like I think the more closely a marketer is associated with revenue, the better that marketer will be. Oh, wow. Right? You're not going to, because your decision is, your decision making will be put through that filter and it'll be a lot more sober. You'll be a lot more careful. Um, You'll consider a lot more of the entire customer journey from, Brand awareness all the way down to renewal.
0: I love that. the The more closely a marketer is associated with revenue, the better the decisions will be. Mm-hmm. Boom! We need to oh. get you a bronze plaque with that. <laughs> we, we put it on walls. But yeah. It's so true. And so it's this, it's this kind of contrasting thing. The closer you get to revenue, the scarier it is, but the better decisions you're going to make. It's
1: totally true, right? Like if it's life or death, uh, you're going to be yeah. carefully weighing your decisions, right? Right. And- not quite that serious but it's pretty serious
0: (laughs) yeah i would say (laughs) so so what how how, you're you're brave marketer then how how did you get how did you get there
1: how did i get there like i mean how from from like
0: like what what's enabled you to be able to like get so close to the revenue knowing that you're dancing in this scary zone
1: i think it was gradual you know to be honest i think um i uh coming up would always get into tough conversations with um, with my CEOs or my sales leaders or whatever. Right. And after a while I learned like, you know what, like these tough conversations are happening because of revenue, not because of MQLs or because of some, because of lead flow. Right. Um. Right. You could probably trace everything back up to that, but at the end of the day, that's the stem of the problem. So why don't we just talk about that first? Right. right? I could drive more leads. Shit, I can buy as many leads as you need right now. Yeah it's not going to change the problem that is driving this conversation. Let's talk about That's that. Right. And, um, I think, you know, there's revenue doesn't come from leads. It comes from all over the place. It could come from your existing customer base. Maybe if you're, uh, you're having a sluggish quarter, don't focus on inbound, focused on how can we drive more value out of our customers? Um, I think it just, it, it it is scarier, but it opens up a lot more options, right? You can start to think a little more strategically about what's going to drive the business. I mean, the whole reason your business exists is to, create revenue to create value for your shareholders. Um, Marketing's, you know, not going to like focus on that, like focus on creating value. Don't focus on driving leads. Well,
0: this is, this is awesome. So, I mean, tell me, do you have an overall approach to marketing like a all encompassing strategy or, or how do you just approach things? I mean, I know it's like asking Elon Musk how to build a rocket, but at the same time, do you, when you just look at marketing as a whole, is there, Something That's that comes to mind
1: It's a good, big and tough question.
0: like you just you just started today at Sixter, you know that kind of thing you just started you didn't, but yeah. let's say you did yeah.
1: let's say I did. <laughs> say I, did. Um, I think that there is a basic foundation, like operational foundation you need to set up, right? like you need to kind of understand how the machine you need to report on how the machine's working, okay, right. And by the machine, I mean whatever combination of CRM, marketing automation, whatever marketing technology you're using, Right. how are those things going to show up? I think is the first thing, right? How do I report right. on it? Because if I can't measure it, uh, how do I improve it, right? So once right. I can measure it, then I can start to baseline, okay, well, Here's where the most of our uh, you know new customers come from. Let's make those channels work better. Here's the channels that are not working so well. How do we make them better? What can we bolt on there? Um, once that, I think I think really then it becomes to um, creating a great brand. I think brand is so important and it's so difficult. I, um, you know, when I started out uh, marketing, I always made the joke that you know I'm um, I'm in marketing because I feel like I'm. 85% funny and 25% good at math and, <laughs> and, um, I would, I would just try and stay as far away from math as possible. But then once I realized, you know what, I really want to do marketing full bore. I want to be a marketing leader one day. That means I need to get really good at math and, um,
0: really good. I mean, how good do we have to get really good? Well, I, you know. <laughs>
1: here's, here's, here's where it, uh, becomes a bunch of kids right? in
0: college are going to their career office and they're changing their major right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it might. So I, I went, uh, so I, yeah, I mean, I went to college for psychology and English. Okay. Um, I did a and, uh, a little, I did kind of like I hedged it. There was this honors program, this honors business program that I took because I'd get the business certificate, but I didn't have to take all the scary math courses. I only mm. did take like one accounting course. Um, and I did myself a disservice by doing that by the way. What happened is like six or seven years later, I went back and got my MBA and I did take all the big, uh, you know, scary finance courses and the quant classes. I went to like a super math heavy MBA program because I felt like that was my weak spot. And Mm -hmm. if I'm going to do this full bore, I need to be really good at math. Um, and I am, I'm pretty good at math now. And it's not the hardest part. I think building a brand. Yeah. The messaging, like all that really squishy stuff that seems from the outside looking in so obvious and easy is the most difficult part of the job. Why do you think that is? Because there's no right answer. Math is binary, uh, right? Yeah. There's, yeah, but like, you know, like even if you can test and measure everything, but even still, it's still very hazy, right? And I, I think that building a brand, getting your messaging and positioning right, um, it's, it's a crapshoot, you know? Mm-hmm. You can get close. You can improve, but you can't be like, "Yep, yeah, this is the right answer. This is the best, the best possible of all out um, of all you know scenarios."
0: Right. Whereas in math, unless you're dealing with some negative, random number that yeah. doesn't even exist, usually you can come to an answer. Exactly. Even then, you can come to an answer. Um, but the squishy stuff may or may it doesn't. There's no formula. No. Yeah, and you yeah. could invent one but it may not be the actual thing it's not math it's exactly
1: and it's different for every business every business yeah. works differently every marketplace responds differently it's just there's no right answer and i think that's where it gets really, really tough and that's probably why you know i mean marketing is afraid of a revenue number because it's like i've got to be responsible for something that doesn't have a, a correct answer but i'm also responsible for kind of you know making sure the paychecks of my coworkers show up
0: wow i it clicked in my head you're right I'm, I'm, I am I'm play in this gray area, and then now I somehow have to be responsible for this black and white area. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm not even sure how this works. <laughs> I'm going to own the number that comes out the back end.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Wow. The black box that is marketing. You mentioned brand as being one of the important things, the overall approach. Do you see that becoming more and more important these days? I mean, back in the day, it was like the B2C thing, you know, Coca-Cola with the little polar bear drinking coke you know but now it seems like you know, six years cool there's a lot of these cool brands that in the b2b world
1: I, it, it, yeah the answer is absolutely hell yes it's important yeah. i think more than ever yeah i mean think about it like it used to be i mean 20 years ago b2b software was the most boring possible thing ever everything was like a navy blue logo and <laughs> we help work you know, suck, suck slightly less. Yeah. And these days, you know, um, B2B, people wear jeans to work now. People, you know, millennials don't really distinguish between personal life and work life. Um, I think B2B is B2C now. I think just, you know, some of the, the dynamics are slightly different. So creating a consumer-ish brand for B2B, um, I think is incredibly important because now all of a sudden, B2B brands are something that people want to be associated with. Like there are B2B brands that are cool now. And I think, you know, in the past, that was never a a possibility. Um, And so I think building a brand that people want to, A, that can engage with humans is super important, right? I think there's so many brands and like, you know, you're even seeing like, I mean, companies like Salesforce, I think have done a really good job of taking a mega megalithic brand, but tried to make it human. They've got polar bears and Eskimos and stuff going on.
0: Yeah. Astro, (laughs) the little scout,
1: all this. Right. Um, I think, you know, it's easier for startups to do it and to be cute and fun. Um, I think there's a, trap there like you don't want to be too cute and fun you want people to take you seriously but you want to be a human brand you want people to understand that you know what there's a bunch of people with souls in this building that are building a b2b product for you yeah Um, i think that's important to express
0: yeah how how do we do that i mean do we take pages out of the b2c book Uh, No longer, thankfully, I'm glad we're not all just walking around like IBM. Sorry, IBM, but
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. We're all different now. We don't have to be in suits and wearing the same tie. Exactly. How how do you how you mentioned earlier you want to be cool, you wanna be out there, be human, but not be silly, unless that's your brand. But yeah, Yeah. how do you balance that? You know, you know, how do you lead your group because you've got a cool brand. I mean, the leaving the logo. It's not silly, it's, but it's fun. It's not yeah. like block letters, it's cursive. Like yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure. I can't take credit for um, all of it. I think, and I think the answer, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think there's one answer for any of this. I think this is the problem, yeah. the challenge of marketing, right? There's not, there's not a right answer. I think it's different for every business. What I did, the first thing I did at Sigster was to take inventory of the, our culture right like we have awesome people we have just the best people working here i i, I love working
0: uh with with my entire team here um it seems like i've cool. met i met a couple and i it just it's memorable Yeah, they're the
1: best they're the best and like, like i'm like i think that's the brand right um is the people right i think the brand is the sum total of all of the work people do right not just the marketing team like but you know the engineering and product team even like you know accounting like they support everything that creates the product and the brand that, uh, you know, shows up in the marketplace. So the first thing I did when I got to Sixter was uh, put together a survey uh, to send the entire company. If Sixter was a car, what kind of car would it be? Um, oh, cool. you know, what are what, what? five words would you use to describe Sixter's product? What five words would you use to describe Sixter's brand? And, you know, I'd do things, you know, I'd take that data and I'd see what what picture did it create, right? What of those five uh, words that people gave me that described our brand, what were the most frequently used words, right? And maybe those have some bearing on, you know, our tagline or our, our, you know, boilerplate or whatever. Um, I really think the brand is, I think if if brand matches the product and the culture, it clicks with people Mm. it becomes authentic it becomes real it becomes something that's easy um, to express and to kind of make something out of if you're trying to force a brand onto a product or a culture i think it feels fake i think people they might not it just doesn't feel right it doesn't give you that feeling and i think that you know we're talking a lot about squishy stuff that feeling might not be quantifiable um it might not show up with everybody but i think some people have you know finely tuned bullshit detectors it'll be like you know i'm not really I don't agree with, with, you know, the yeah. grand expression that I'm seeing.
0: For sure. I, I got an email a couple of weeks ago and the first line was, I am writing this email to you personally right now on my computer from Florida. And I was like, it was like a marketing email. I was like, no, you're not. Yeah. The second line was, um, I'm not sending this email to my whole list, <laughs> but you are. <laughs> <laughs> the third was, I've looked at your funnel. I'm <laughs> like, no you haven't i I mean three sets of your opening salvo was like three lies so it felt it felt bad (laughs) yeah and i think that's
1: it goes back to like this whole b2c thing people like i mean man you know if you can't show me that you care about my company why should i care about yours right and i think that's where the humanity comes into a brand right like you need to understand that this is a real person that understands you and your business and Maybe our product or solution can help, maybe not, but at least I understand who you are and how I want to help. And you can't do that in a mass email way.
0: Right. No, you really can't. You you totally can't do that. So back to that brand email, when you first got to Sixter, the question was, I thought it was really cool. I can't wait to email my team. Um, if this company was a car, is that what you said? If this company or this culture?
1: This If uh, Sixter, yeah, I think so. I kind of the company, right?
0: Was a car. What would it be? And then, by the way, what did what did the team...
1: I, this was shocking. This shocked me. I felt shocked. Um, <laughs> it was a multiple choice thing. I think I had like, you know, uh, uh, it was like a Tesla. Yeah. Uh, it was like a minivan. It was like a luxury SUV. Uh, I forget what they all were like, you know, a nice, nice ish sedan. Um, and <laughs> it came back with a tie. And it was a tie between a Tesla and a minivan. And that oh, minivan no. thing, like, scared the crap out of me at first. I'm like, I, uh, no one wants to be a minivan, right? No,
0: I refuse <laughs> so that, to drive one out of prison. No way.
1: No way. But then I just sat back and I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? No, no, one, no one's like, you know, when I grow up, I want to drive a minivan. Um, but so many people end up with minivans, right? Because right. they're utilitarian. They have room. <laughs> they move the kids around. They're easier. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? There are a lot of positive attributes about the mini Band, right? Um, it gets it gets stuff done, right? They're necessary. And I'm like, you know what? I think that's actually a good thing for a brand to have, to be easy to use, to be utilitarian. Um, but it was also a Tesla, right? Like kind of the market leader, most expensive premium brand, cool. Yeah. Uh, and so what I ended up doing was kind of com swishing the two together. And there's the, the, the Tesla SUV thing with the, the gull wings. Yeah. I don't think it's a very attractive car, but I think it kind of checked both boxes about being, uh, you know, kind of a premium offering that also is great for the family and for getting things, you know, carted around here and there.
0: Right. And maybe doesn't cost a million dollars and maybe yeah. gets things done and moves things along. Exactly. Those people just haven't driven a Tesla, so they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's so cool okay so yes Nat, you asked about the five words any other questions that, did you ask the team that oh man it's you know, out, i
1: mean they, it was probably 20 It was probably too long in retrospect i think if i was to do it ever going to do fewer ones um it was like
0: 20 questions
1: it was it was, it was yeah. a lot and i asked like you know who do you think our peers are right it doesn't have to be another marketing technology just who do you think companies like us are um, just to kind of get a, a sense of the other brands right. out there that, that uh, felt, you know, resonant with us. Um, I think I asked you about personas. Like, you know, describe the person that you think uh, loves Sixter or buys Sixter, things like that. Just like try to look at the company from a few different, uh, you know, vantage points to get a holistic picture of it. And once I was done, it's not like the data told me the whole story, right? It didn't, but it kind of gave me a set of boundaries that I wanted to play within.
0: Yeah. It like just it, it started it a bunch of stuff to start the conversation. Yeah. And like That's cool. How do how do you feel like tech fits in? We're talking about Teslas and we're talking about, you know, your overall approach to marketing. And you mentioned the, the you got get the operational performance down. You gotta have the marketing automation platform talking to the CRM and your your funnels mapped out and you have to have those things in place. And I mean tech comes up there and I know yeah. you are you, you are tech as well. How do you, how do you view technology and how does what's its place in marketing? How does it fit in?
1: I think um that is a awesome question and I think that there is I think we're in a good spot right now where there's so many there's too many. No, to be honest, there are too many freaking technologies out there right yeah. now, right? What's that
0: chart uh, that shows like uh,
1: Yeah, the, 6, the Scott, uh, Scott Scott Brinker's okay. martech yeah. 7000. So it, it's more than 7000. Like it used to be the martech set 5000, now it's 7000 and you know the first line of the report is like that's like seven thousand and eight hundred.
0: Like, yeah, I was talking to him. He said it like it was just like like a, it was under a thousand or something. Just a couple hundred the first time he did it. You know. Yeah. I was like oh, this seems like an easy. This will be an easy thing, to, content to create. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it used to be the kind of thing where it's like you know it, when there was only a thousand pieces of technology, whatever you bolted on probably would be somewhat helpful. But now it's just kind of like there's too much. Right. Uh, I think tech is super important. Like at Sixter, I think it's you know in terms of our. Marketing budget it goes headcount and then it's either events or tech like our, our subscriptions to technology and events are expensive Right. So that gives you an idea of just you know, um, how we think about tech I think it's super important, but I think a couple things one the tech needs to be aligned with your Desired outcomes, right? It's easy to get like, you know, really hear really impressive stories about how this piece of technology tripled, you know Whatever registrations, right. um and, um, if that's not in line with your goals, then a, you know, probably a good red flag, but B, I think you need to have super talented people that have the skills and the time to use those tools appropriately, right. which is the reason that we've invested in more technology than I think a lot of companies our size is because our marketing team is just so damn good, um, and talented that they know how to drive a lot of value out of those tools. Right. So you're going anything, anything, Sixter included, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And our customers that are really uh, just, you know, kicking the hell out of their goals with Sixter are the ones that are resourcing it appropriately, that have a strategy for it, that are thinking about it um, in the right way to get the results that, that they want to get out of it. And I think it's true for any piece of technology that's out there.
0: Yeah, that's so true, man. And I hear you say have a strategy first before you dive into the tech. And it sounds like your crew does. They've used them before. They understand the strategic goal. And you said align it with the outcome, you Mm -hmm. know, not just let's get this thing because it's cool and shiny. And I got some swag from them at Dreamforce, but because it's going to help me. In this case, ideally build that pipeline for sales. Yeah, exactly. If yes, then do it. If no, then don't do it. Exactly. <laughs> don't, spend, don't spend the headcount, the events, the tech, any of that, if it's not gonna help you with that aim.
1: Exactly.
0: So cool, man. Well, my question to you now is it who are you? <laughs> how did you become this math marketer extraordinaire? Take me back to little Justin, you know, playing with math. Or what did you how did you, you know, Take me back to uh, the, the the little days.
1: The to- it, it was Everything has been totally accidental with me, man. <laughs> um, I think, uh, God, so what are the most important things? I think uh, I moved around a lot when I was younger. Okay. Um, so I didn't have, you know, I, it, it was one of those things where it was miserable at the time. But having been in a lot of different places, having to kind of constantly make a lot of new friends, I think taught me a lot of valuable, um, you know, kind of helped me be a little more worldly. Uh, helped helped me kind of figure out how to make connections with people um in the right way and I think that's really right important. um and
0: so you like went, you, were your parents in the military or, so, or just you no just uh no
1: no, no just moved a lot I mean yeah my, my dad was a uh you know kind of a um electronics executive and uh, oh got it where the markets were um and so we just went <laughs> along with it and you know, totally, totally uh, bummed out at the time, but I think it, looking back, super grateful for it. Um,
0: what kind of places did you go to?
1: So I was actually, of all places, born in Indianapolis, where I am now, but okay. I only lived here for, for three months. Exactly. So when I was like three months old, we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, spent uh, over a decade in Salt Lake City, um, Minneapolis, Atlanta, California, um, back to Indiana for a while, back to California. Um, and then finally, you know, as of two years ago, almost, uh, back here in Indianapolis.
0: Wow. Yeah. That is a lot of travel. It was. Yeah. First though, almost all of them are Delta hubs. So it's kind of interesting.
1: Now that you say that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe Delta is following you around building hubs. It wherever. was.
1: I think it was a long game for Delta because I'm very brand loyal to Delta now.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, right. <laughs> it's <was> a long tail.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so wow, yeah, I could see that. That is a lot of places. That's not just uh, oh, you know, I moved once in elementary school. That's a
1: yeah. So it was yeah, exactly. It was it was it was uh, it was tough but good. Um, we did kind of settle like so. I, I we moved back to Indianapolis um, halfway through high school. Okay. So I was super pissed off at that point. Like I was just. <laughs> fucking mad. You're just um, mad, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Yeah. So I kind of didn't care about high school. I gave it, you know, a good 60% of my effort and was not really thinking to the future at all. Right. Didn't think, you know, oh, if I don't really, you know, try hard in geometry, I'm not going to get a job one day. Was right. not looking at that at all. Just kind of focused on, um, you know, being an angsty teenager, to be totally honest. And so it was one of those things where I got into college by so the damn skin of my teeth. Like,
0: but Was it, that like, was that where music came up or?
1: Uh, you know, I think it, it. Yes, I think it had. Uh, I think it was a good outlet for it, for sure. So I, um, yeah, like moving around a lot. Like really liked. Always loved music. Really wanted to play music. Never had anyone to play music with, and so it was
0: constantly moving. Right, you form a band, exactly. and be gone. You know, three months exactly. later. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and that did happen. It sucked. That yeah. was you know. Um, and so I just wanted to play everything myself. Uh, all of the instruments, and um, was really into the band Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor produces all, like he would, you know, or at least in the earlier days did uh, all the instruments, all the production, everything himself. And I was oh, like, well, if he can do it, I'll do that too. Right, it couldn't yeah. be that hard. And it is actually pretty hard turns out. <laughs> but um, yeah. um, it, it just became like, yeah, that, that be kind of became my outlet for sure. Got it. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that, that came out, but you know, it was one of those things where uh, I knew, like I'm not a C student, right? I was pulling a straight C report card, um, which is not the kind of thing you get into into a good college with.
0: Right. So when
1: I finally did get to college, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, fresh start. Um, I am going to absolutely beat the crap out of college. And yeah. I did, right? Like, I mean, I ended up with kind of two and a half majors uh, in four years. Um, spent all my time in the library. I didn't drink until I was 21. Like, I kind of was a right. very ascetic college student. And um, it was it was really like, and I think this is kind of, been I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but I think a motivator for me since then is like you know being able to prove someone wrong or do something doing something in spite of someone else um has led me to a lot of bigger accomplishments.
0: That's that's cool. I mean, who were you proving wrong, wrong in college? Was that I
1: think that was more like myself yourself? or my yeah. high school teachers or people that were like you know like I mean it was like one of those things. I think it was probably mostly myself to be honest. Yeah, uh, is that not you know
0: like you that, knew it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Absolutely. and um.
1: And since then, I've had, you know, I mean, reasons to prove other people wrong. But it's always been one of those things where it's like, you know, I I, I know better. Um, I can do better. I just need to, you know, focus on it.
0: Makes total sense, man. That's what happened to me in the Marine Corps, right? Because all the other recruiters were like, Army was like, oh, yeah, we want you. We'll give you 40 grand signing bonus. And the Air Force is like, our bonuses aren't as big, but you can choose whatever you want to do. And then the Marine Corps is like, first of all, no bonus. Second of all, we don't want you. <laughs> <laughs> really? I was like, are you sure?" Really? <laughs> so just cue the Rocky music. And then, yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to prove them wrong at that point. But There's
1: a lesson in there somewhere too, Ooh. like for, I mean, for B2B marketers, like, I mean, how does oh, yeah. your, how does your brand make something like that? You're not promising a $40,000 sign-on bonus. You're telling them no. like, you got to do some work here for this. Um, yeah, I don't know what that is, but there's something there. There's that kind of like, you know, uh, reverse psychology almost. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. We, I don't know if you can handle this software. I don't, I don't know. If <laughs> exactly. You want to be the VP of marketing? I don't know. I, I don't know if you have what it takes and are like, yeah, really? You think so? Well, watch this, you know,
1: yeah. <laughs> down the street, check out our cheaper competitors. Right. And
0: right. Right. A
1: little more your speed.
0: Oh, that, that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're sending me to your, I don't like those guys. Um, <laughs> what did you go to school for? Did you have a sense of what you wanted to do? Are oh, you psych, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So I had no idea. It ended up working out really well. Like I think psychology, English literature, business, like if you were to smish those three things together, I think it comes out as a marketer. Uh, I had no idea at the time though. Um, uh, so it, I, I basically, you know, um, Took psychology because I had the most credits in it and the time it was time to declare my major. I took uh, an English major because I just really liked writing and reading. Um, Yeah. And then the business thing was really just to hedge my bets. Like, I want to get a job one day, right? So I entered this kind of honors program for – basically, it was like to help English majors get jobs one day. Right. Um, And so – that was, that was, there was no strategy there. I was just doing the things that I was interested in and wanted to learn more about. And I would recommend I do that all over again um, in the same way. Um, I think it's really a bad idea for an 18 year old to make a lifelong decision about what they want to do when they grow up and sign themselves up for $100,000 of debt to get there.
0: Yeah. And the happens um, all the time, right? You go to law school and you're like, I hate law. <laughs>
1: exactly exactly <laughs> so um but yeah, yeah you also you
0: know unless you're being you know, becoming a doctor or something you know especially marketing you're just getting different pieces of things and that's why you know as long ago as it was i always like asking about the the school thing because sometimes it has nothing to do with marketing but in a way it does whether you've someone's gone to school for economics suddenly yeah. they can they can weave that in there i mean you as psych there's like a thousand things i'm sure that, that you know maybe not even aware of that you're using
1: Oh, totally, totally. No, I I do. And I like, I remember back to those classes sometimes favorably and and like kind of when I'm thinking about, you know, whatever, whatever we're working on. But I also, at the same time, I've not, I don't know how many, I mean, I've probably hired 20 people in the past, you know, five, six years. Uh, I've never once required a college degree for them. I don't, I don't think you need that. I mean, I think it's super valuable. I think it's an investment people should make, but I also don't feel like it's necessary. There's some people on my team that um, sidestepped college went to you know programming you know school or whatever uh joined the workforce when they were 1920 and are some of like i am jealous of how quickly (laughs) they got where they are they're more mature than i am now and um (laughs) and are super talented
0: yeah you know the same for a lot of the different results oriented type positions you know if your if your graphics look amazing i don't I don't yeah, care if you sure. grew up in Antarctica. Let, let's yeah. roll. Let's, let's do this. Um, or, you know, your output, if you're a writer. And um, I, mean, I think maybe sometimes there's a little polishing that can happen in school. Yep, I agree. Writing and dealing with being dehydrated at, you know, eight,
1: <laughs> but Yeah.
0: Other than that, you know, like in practicing your writing, practicing whatever you need to do. But you're right. It, it's it's the results that matter the most.
1: I agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Not, not – I, I would recommend people go to college, but I also don't think you need to, to be successful at what you do as long as you, you've got the drive and the wherewithal to get there.
0: Right. Right. Well, i mean, that it kind of leads into another question then. So if you were to look back on yourself when you were first getting in your marketing career, basically first getting into your career in general, I suppose, what kind of advice would you give yourself?
1: Oh uh, man, I would say, um, first and foremost, you know, like, involve yourselves with really difficult decisions, right? Like, I think um, it's easy to hide behind things like MQLs, for example, um, to to bring a full circle. Um, You know, getting involved in tough, difficult decisions is a great way to build yourself professionally quickly, right? When you throw yourself into a tough situation, whether it's a job that you may be underqualified for, or, uh, you know, a revenue number that you never really wanted to sign up for. Getting yourselves in a really tough situation is a great way to steel yourself for what comes next, right? It's never going to get easier. It's never going to get easier. Uh, go ahead and, and you know, face really tough challenges before. And I didn't do that when I was, uh, when I was starting off in my career. Um, goofed around a lot, um, was kind of, you know, didn't take work or myself seriously. And it stunted my growth professionally way more than than um, I would have wanted to. And what happened was, you know, I was uh, at a company, this is the first kind of non-founding member, um, thought that as a byproduct of that, that kind of like I was entitled to a lot of stuff. And that's total bullshit, right? Like you're entitled to whatever you put out there. Um, and so, you know, on the one hand, it was great because I learned that lesson, but it was also, it slowed me down. Like what ended up happening was uh, I went to business school and the after I graduated, um, I drove to San Francisco. and tried to make a, a new career and a new life happen. Um and it was one of those things where I had, you know, kind of oh ample numbers of ways to fail, right? Moving from sure. Indianapolis to San Francisco, didn't really have a network out there, kind of had to just figure out how to make it on my own. Uh and just kind of faked it till I made it. And I think yeah. scared the shit out of me, but uh was also kind of the best thing that, you know, I've done for my career.
0: Right. Right. I mean, because to your point, you could hide in the wings in in some of these companies, whether it's the MQL thing or, you know, even at whatever level you're at, if you just sort of stay within the safety zone or your comfort zone, even you may be able to just coast. And all that does is just burn the time from your, your life, you know, your candle, right? Where you can push. Exactly.
1: And maybe maybe you don't want to. I mean, if if you want to just kind of do what you're doing, I think that's awesome. Like if you're happy coming to work and you're happy True. with what you're doing, don't feel like you need to, you know, go and challenge a CEO on something or whatever. Um, but if you <laughs> Did do, you do you that, want to grow, no, uh, no, no. I mean, now I, do, now I think it's uh, like you need to be challenging everything right. all the time. Right. right. Um, but if you want to become a leader in whatever you're doing, I think you do need to put yourself in really tough, tough situations. Yeah. You
0: know agreed uh, do it intentionally right so yep. if you're if you're happy where you're at awesome but if you do want to go to the next place don't think that just coasting and cruising is gonna help out I, I think you raised a good point too because every every if you're climbing a ladder or every if you're gonna get promotions or that next job it, it actually is tougher and there are crazy like the highs are higher the lows get lower yep. um, and so to prepare yourself for that you said steal yourself for that you need to start experiencing some of that at whatever level you're at you know and exactly. do that dance so that when you get to that next level you're not completely shell-shocked
1: exactly yeah I, like and I think it's a pretty tired adage but it's like you know you gotta you gotta take a take some big risks if you're gonna get any rewards
0: i love that i love that so school it, okay so you school and then you went out to san fran it, i mean what happened so you started doing a bunch of startups is that you just yeah. got a startup a and
1: yeah i uh i, I emailed every CEO. so what i did i mean you know let's get super tactical i was yeah. i would every morning go to the coffee shop get on Crunchbase, look at what companies in the san francisco area had recently received funding
0: <laughs> nice.
1: pretty soon they're going to need to hire people especially marketing if they just got some funding um so i would just find the ad email addresses of every ceo at those companies shoot them an email be like look i'm i'm new to the area uh i'm Super highly motivated. Here's my resume. Uh, you know, let's let's talk. And uh, one the the you know, one person emailed me back, uh, his name was Beezer, and he was my first CEO in San Francisco, and he took a chance on me. Like, you know, I I, I was kind of in the before moving to San Francisco and more of a B2C uh, tech side of things. Um, had never done B2B marketing and was super straight up with him. I was like, you know, I haven't done B2B marketing before. I think I'd be good at it. And he's like, you don't need to worry about it. Everyone wears jeans now. And that was his line. And I was like, wow. it's okay. And um, he, really, he really did take a chance on me. Like, I didn't know how to use marketing automation. I'd never built a form or whatever. And he basically said, Justin, uh, you know, you need to drive in, you know, acknowledging the irony now, but Justin, you need to drive leads for the sales team. Um, was like, okay, well, I guess I'll figure this out. And yeah. you know, like, went and talked to HubSpot. Like, hey, how do I use you to right. use this or this or this or whatever? Start um, learning exactly, and I you. learned on the job. Like, I mean, I'm I, if I was him, I don't know if I would have done the same thing. But he was <laughs> right. <an amazing laughs> dude. I don't know if I would have hired me. <laughs> <laughs> now, and now, um,
0: to to uh, to kind of be transparent, how many e- CEOs did you think you emailed before you got that, that response? Because. Because I, I think it's important. Easily a
1: hundred. Easily a oh, hundred. Yeah. 100. yeah. Right. I mean, because it's not like that many companies are getting funding, getting funding. on cashless every morning. Uh, and it wasn't like every single company. It would be kind of like, you know, ones that were earlier stage or whatever. Um, easily a hundred, though. Right. So 1% conversion rate for all of those of you emailing uh, CEOs to find a job.
0: That's cool. And it sounds like it was a good one too. It
1: was. It was. Like I learned everything I needed to know. Um, I mean shit, within, you know, two or three years, I was speaking at the Marketo conference. Like wow. here's, here's how I'm, you know, building my opportunity analyzer. Here's how I'm working with my sales team and operationalizing things. Um, and it was just because like Homeboy took a chance on me and gave me what I needed to succeed and, you know, helped to groom me into a marketer. And, uh, you know, I was the only marketer at the time, too. So I, I, I had no one to look up to. I, I had one person that was kind of like a uh, five-hour-a-week kind of marketing consultant right. that was more senior. But that wasn't, you know, a whole lot of leadership. Um, and pretty soon had him say, you know what, you're in good hands now. I'm going to – you don't need to pay me anymore. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. Um, mm-hmm. The, the company grew. I did get to hire my boss, um, uh, who ended up being an amazing mentor to me. And I still talk to and, and uh, have tacos with anytime I'm in San Francisco. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where you just got to basically make it. Like, as long as you yeah. feel the pressure and you're driven by it, you're going to make it happen. You'll figure a
0: way out. Right. Right. And you did. And then you get, you're getting awards or seeing like best pipeline award, best Mm -hmm. content of the year, all these different accolades just from, you know, just getting in a realm that you, maybe you're not qualified to even be in and just learning. Yeah. I think it's totally
1: okay. There's that whole imposter syndrome thing. People talk a lot about. Yeah. And I'm like, if you feel like that, I think that's a good thing.
0: It would describe that too, just for people.
1: So imposter syndrome is where you don't feel like you're worthy of whatever your role is or whatever, you know, you're, getting paid or you don't feel like you've necessarily earned it yeah um i feel like if you don't if you're in a position and you don't feel like you've earned it that's because you haven't earned it yet like you're in the role but you haven't earned it yet right you still got some work to do you've still got the the pressure should be there more than ever i think that's when you know that that stealing happens when you become really strong if you feel that pressure because you're not you, you got a big role but you haven't earned it yet um that's when i think magic happens and you get you get you learn how to make those tough decisions and have those tough conversations and, you know, manage other people the right way.
0: Yeah. You know, I hadn't even thought of that. And I like how you, you turn that around. Oh, I'm not worthy. I, I don't belong here. Well, you're here. And so someone thinks you belong here. You mm-hmm. just haven't earned it yet. I love yep. that. That, yep. that makes so much sense. And, and when you turn it that way, that kind of makes it exciting that's gotcha. like hey I, I just got promoted to the major leagues and i don't and i got you know i've got the higher level athletic sports business whatever it is yeah. i don't know if i belong here this table with other vps or whatever it is and it's like well now's your chance exactly
1: man it's yours to lose right yeah yeah that's so that's, cool that's good motivating pressure for me
0: that's so cool man um well, sweet. Well, I, you know, I wanted to talk real quick on Sigster, too, because you know, I've been exposed to it, and and you got – well, how did that happen? How did you – did you email another 100 CEOs to get there, or, like, how did that <laughs>
1: – So, uh, how did I end up at Sigster? So, this was one of those things where the universe is kind of a jerk, uh, in a good way. In a good way. I'll explain right. what i mean here. Yeah, um, sorry, universe. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um So, we, we've been in San Francisco for about eight years, and my wife, you know, looks over to me, uh, one evening, and I was like, no, I think we should move back to the Midwest. You know, we have family here. Uh, you know, not necessarily Indianapolis, but like within three hours of Indianapolis, right? So like Chicago or Nashville. I'm like, okay, great. Like you know, let's let's uh, definitely start thinking about that. You know, 18, 24 months. Let's think about doing that. And about three weeks later, I was on a flight to Indianapolis, right? Like as soon yeah. as the universe heard me say uh, Midwest, it's like, oh, okay, here you go. And um, this opportunity at Sixter cracked open. And I don't know if I would have moved back here for any other company, mm-hmm. uh, to be totally honest. Um, not nothing wrong, nothing against Indianapolis. It's just like I, I you know, new adventures are, are fun and interesting to me. Um, but you know, the role at Sixter kind of popped up, and I was talking to our CEO Brian uh, from a conference room in San Francisco about the opportunity that he thought. And um, it was one of those things where I was like, "Wow, this is actually." pretty incredible, right? Because when I yeah. thought about it, at first, you know, you, you hear sixter, it's like email signatures and you're like, okay, I guess that's interesting, but there's not a whole lot of growth there, right? You like, just sit
0: there in the bottom of your email address. Exactly, right? right? Yeah.
1: Um, but something clicked where I'm like, wait a minute, so you're putting dynamic call to action banner ads in every single email, right? And if you got, um, you know, I didn't know the math, that I know now, but if you've got um, 100 employees, that's a million emails a year. Read differently, that's a million ad impressions a year.
0: <laughs>
1: I like and, it. I like and the math. Exactly. And so How many I was employees? Like,
0: what was the math on that? Do 100 you have- employees.
1: So the average employee sends about 10,000 emails a year. You have 100 employees, that's a million emails. It's actually, we've since done more and better math, and the average salesperson sends about 20,000 emails a year. So it's somewhere between, you know, a million... 2 million emails um, a year if you got 100 employees at your company. And all of a sudden, I realized, holy crap, that's an ad channel, right? Like yes. Display ads are, you know, having been in digital marketing, I understand how, how they perform, and it's not always super great. Uh, right. but I was like, all of a sudden, like, you know what, the, that's because there's so much noise competing with display ads, right? If so you right. go to ESPN.com, Let's there's see. an ad, but there's also a bunch of slam dunks and scores and other ads that are competing for your attention. You know, yeah. you're not going to really pay attention to anything, but an email is kind of like this little white Zen garden where there's some text up top. Here's my name. Here's a a banner that people are going to see. Right. And so as soon as that clicked to me, I'm like, holy crap, this is actually kind of brilliant. Um, yeah. And so it was one of those things I just got so excited about. I'm like, I think we can do so many amazing things with this because it's, it's new, it's different, but it's also familiar. Like people understand everyone's gotten that email. Hey, can you copy and paste this in your email signature? Uh, but no one's really exploited it the right way. Not Maybe, everyone
0: does
1: it. No, yeah. but a, a, you're right. No, not everyone does it. B, um, if they do it, it's like one image for one campaign that, you know, who knows what it is? It runs out.
0: It's now, now it's 401. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And
1: so what Sixter does That's is cool. gives a marketer global control over that email signature area to put an ad in. So A, it forces everyone to do it. But B, you can run hundreds of simultaneous campaigns. Wow. And it's targeting off of email addresses, right? It rides along with email. So it has 100% deliverability or you know targeting uh, accuracy. So you can run... Geolocation specific ads, you can run one to one. I mean, some of our coolest customers are doing like seven hundred campaigns, seven hundred separate signatures for each company they email every day. So say you know, Sigster loves KPMG or whoever. Okay. yeah, yeah, right. And in the world of ABM, uh, personalization is what drives engagement, and that's like the bottom line, right? If totally. you personalize it, and this is what we're talking about earlier, right? if if uh, you can't show me that I care about your brand, why should I care about yours, right? Um, That email you got where that person was saying it was a personal email and it wasn't that's the exact opposite of personalization Right if you can write an authentic meaningful uh, Email to someone it's gonna get open and if you can do the same thing with display advertising or whatever, you know Email signature advertising uh, the same thing's gonna happen Um, So we're basically I mean a super high-volume ad channel that has 100% targeting accuracy
0: Does anyone ever advertise on somebody else's email?
1: No, we don't <laughs> let them do that. No. So you can only do <laughs> I've had, I've had conversations about it. Like what if we were to resell to like a publisher, and, like a like, network? <laughs>
0: um,
1: we have not though. I think there's okay. some, some, That'd be some, weird. Private, like, some rules people would not be too into. Yeah.
0: But one company has multiple emails for the same brand that they're emailing to. So it, it cycles through. So it's not yeah. just the same message. Back to the old days where, you know, maybe some put it on there and then it's outdated after the, the webinar happens or something. But, you can, you have a series of emails. Yeah.
1: Of, of, of ads. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it is wow. all built on logic, right? It's built, we have integrations with all the marketing automation platforms. Right. So, I mean, one of the like examples I give that kind of makes it click with people is uh, what what Sixter and some of our customers do is we have stage based campaigns, right? Okay. So, um, because we know your email address because you exist in our marketing automation platform or our CRM, we can identify exactly who you are, where yeah. you
0: are. Yeah, who they are.
1: So when we're emailing a person at this account, it'll have like a generic, you know, whatever white book, white, white paper we're promoting at the time whatever. But let's say you schedule a demo with us, right? Your opportunity stage in Salesforce is going to change to do demo scheduled. Sixter hears that and says, oh, they need to see this banner now that says, we can't wait to show you Sixter, right? And right. you go through it and it's like, here's what to expect. Uh, once the demo is complete, the salesperson hits that demo complete button, changes their stage. Sixter hears that and says, you know, anytime someone emails them, the email is going to say, thanks for seeing a demo. Here's some resources for you to look at while you're <laughs> right uh, Everyone goes through IT. So we start targeting just the IT person with, uh, here's what you need to do to get Sixter or provisioned, whatever, um, and so on and so forth. So it's hyper-targeted because we can, you know, it's high volume. You own the channel, so you're not paying for media. And right. because it's based on an email address, you can segment any way you damn want.
0: Jeez. Is there a certain point? Because you mentioned 100 employees, you got a million ad impressions. Is there a size that is kind of the sweet spot for this? Where, I mean, obviously, if you have 10,000 employees, that's that's even better. But yeah. you know, if you have three, yeah, where do you where do you see it just really starting to click?
1: I think like I mean, I think for us, it really starts around the 50 employee mark is where. Okay. We have I mean, somewhere you know we've got customers that have 10 employees, I think. Um, but then we have customers that have you know 200,000 employees. Right. right? it's one of those things that scales with volume for sure. Uh, the more, more employees you have, the more emails are going out. To hire
0: some people, get some more impressions. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Awesome, man. Well, I mean, this has been really, this has been fun. I've been learning a bunch. Where can people connect with you? Where do you, you know, Twits, the the land, you know, the LinkedIn, where where do you want to connect? I think,
1: uh, I, my favorite place is Twitter for sure. So I'm at, at Justin Keller. One word. Uh, I am on LinkedIn as well. Um, Yeah, connect with me there. Like, prove me wrong. I get uh, lots of LinkedIn connections every day from people that are trying to, like, sell me something. Um <laughs> oh, man, I know.
0: Oh, who's this random person connecting with me except hey, i want to sell you the- oh yeah,
1: exactly <laughs> i deleted <laughs> right,
0: so say hi in the message, say hi to yeah. the podcast
1: totally I'm more than happy to connect with anyone on there um, That's cool. yeah, but then if you your first your first message to me is to try and sell me something uh, we will we'll, go
0: away yeah, yeah. <laughs> um
1: and then yeah, you can visit us at six s i g s t r no e in proper you know startup fashion.
0: Got it. Yeah. yeah. Pre- proper cool name fashion. That, exactly. That's a straight up San Fran looking name right there. In Indianapolis. Right. Exactly. So S I G S T R. That's cool. Well, thanks man. I'm just, I uh, super appreciate it. This has been thank fun. You. Hashing out these concepts.
1: No, this has been an awesome conversation. I can't thank you enough for uh, letting me hang out with you and, and giving me this opportunity.
0: Absolutely, man. You know, next time I'm in the area, we'll have to have a little jam session.
1: I would love that. Hit me up. Drink around
0: me. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do, dude. We'll do. Awesome. Well, take care. And for everyone listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.